God, I thank you for this, this chance to get together and just see what it means for, for you to be Emmanuel, God with us, and, and what that means, and, and how truly special and, and, and awesome that is, that we uh, come understand the name and the title uh, of Emmanuel tonight, God. May we just pay attention tonight to, to, your, to your word, to your spirit, what you're teaching us, God. May we walk out of here. Um, having been challenged and, and just learn something new and different and just to walk away um, just to grow a little bit closer to you, God. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so this is just a quick little one-week series called Emmanuel. Um, I guess it's not really a series. I keep saying series when I'm talking about one thing. It's not a really series because it's one. It's a one-week lesson over the name Emmanuel. Uh, it's a term probably used most often here at Christmas time, but in reality, the name Emmanuel and the title Emmanuel, bless you, should be, it's a truth for every single day of our lives, not just at Christmas time. If I were to ask you the definition of Emmanuel, um, I would say probably quite a few of you would know what it means, right? Maybe, I don't know. I literally just said the definition in my prayer if you were paying attention. Um, how many of you guys know what the name Emmanuel means? Just raise your hand. I'm not going to call on you or anything. So we got a few. Okay, that's fine. But there's some aspects of the word Emmanuel that I believe that we may not be completely aware of. I want you guys to see um, a video of this of somebody who's a much better speaker, more talented than I could ever hope and dream to be. A uh, quick video of this guy talking about Emmanuel.
Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So I've already asked you this several times. What does the name Emmanuel mean? God with us. If we understand truly how big that is, how important that is, God with us. It's an Old Testament name given to Jesus Christ. It just Like I said, we've said it over and over. I want you to understand this. It's God with us. Do you guys, I don't know if you guys kept, just realize how big that is, okay? God with us. So here in Isaiah, the name signified God's salvation and, and, and judgment for the nation of, of Judah and Israel. Just go over a few, or a chapter over to chapter 8. It says, Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria in all his glory, and will rise over all his channels and go over all its banks. And it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching him to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. Be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear. All you far countries, strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand. For God is with us. So the original judgment or the original fulfillment of the prophecy of, of the person, Emmanuel, God with us, would bring judgment on Judah. Isaiah's prophecy will also fulfill through the, the virginal conception of Jesus Christ, because the first verse we read, and you see over in Matthew chapter 1, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Christmas is the day of Emmanuel, the day that we've been expectantly waiting through for our, our time celebrating this, this Advent season. Um, you guys probably haven't, you guys probably aren't on Facebook a whole lot, I've been posting things about Advent on our church's Facebook page and about the four weeks that lead up to it and the different theme for each week. You have like hope and peace and stuff. And that's the Advent season, the expectancy of the waiting for the Savior to come. So at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, born as a baby and who became a man. But more than a baby and more than a man, it was now Emmanuel, God, with us. This one that we celebrate today is called Emmanuel because he is God with us. And for Jesus, realize that the corruption of man or you know, sin would not be undone except simply by dying. Yet being immortal and the Son of the Father was not able to die, right? Because he came back to life. For this reason, he became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what it says in John 1.14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the, one, as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word dwelt there over on the left side of the screen, that word dwelt, it's um, skeno, which I know you guys just love to learn new languages and words. It's, it's skeno um, in, in the Greek. In the Hebrew, the word is, is sukkot. It, that word dwelt literally means tabernacled or lived in a tent. So you see the word dwelt, it's the word for tabernacle. In the Old Testament, whenever the Israelites were leaving Egypt and they were in the wilderness for 40 years. His presence was, they, they would erect a tabernacle and God's presence would be in that tabernacle wherever they set up camp. And he also instruct, instructed his people to observe 
a special holiday called Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. Uh, this holiday had two purposes. Number one, it, it was a, a memorial of Israel's wilderness experience that we just, I just talked about in the book of Exodus, where they were to live in temporary booths and tents. The second purpose is that it was related to the bringing of the fall harvest, kind of like how we, you know, Thanksgiving is the end of the fall harvest and that kind of stuff. Um, that's the, the end of this harvest for them is the festival of, of Sukkot, of, of booths. It was a time of rejoicing for all that God had done for them in the harvest. It was a time of rejoicing, remembering the way he, he led them out of Egypt and prepared them and, and had a place for them, right? So it's a time of rejoicing. It begins on the, on the 15th day of the month of Tishri, which means nothing to you because you're not a Jewish person, right? Has anybody ever heard of the month of Tishri? No, because we don't use the lunar calendar, right? So they use a lunar calendar. We use um, the calendar we have that's got, you know, like you know, January, right? We have those months. We don't have Tishri. We don't have those kind of things. And so it's and normally mid-October typically is when this festival started. This year it happened really early, actually, on September 20th. So it kind of gives you the idea it's in the fall. And like I said, it was one of three super high holy days on the Jewish calendar. And all three of these high, these high holy days occurred within like 19 days. Because you had Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year. A few days later, you would have Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, when God would forgive the nation of their sins. And then you had the festival of Sukkot, which is actually seven days. Okay? So all those days took place within 19 days. So you can imagine how, how, you know, what God had done and, and how big it was for them to have these three huge holy days within three weeks of each other, basically. And so on the first day, of, the Israelites were to cease from their daily work and they were to proclaim a memorial by means of a holy convocation of trumpets. They would blow trumpets to kind of start this, this festival. Um, in the first of, of seven days, they were to present burnt offerings. And after the feast, proper, after it was over, so the, on the eighth day, they were to enjoy another day of rest and to participate in, in religious activities while then making their final offering to God, okay? And so for the entire length of this feast, the Israelites were to live in booths, tents, called Sukkots, or um, Sukkoth, which is the singular. And you can see, if you, I don't, you guys probably don't care, but the establishment of this feast is, is in your favorite book of the Bible. It's in the book of Leviticus, which most of you guys have probably glanced over. If you did a Bible reading, you got to Leviticus, you're like, I'm done. Leviticus, okay, is where, is where this is found in chapter 23, the beginning of, of this festival. As part of this, this feast, the priest would present a water libation offering to God. He would take water because they're about to have a drought, okay? They're about to have no water. Um, they get less rain than we do. We don't get much rain. They are about to get, they get less water than we do. And so they, they would take this, they would, they would get this golden pitcher after the post-exile time, like in Jesus' time, they would take this gold pitcher down to the Pool of Siloam, which they just recently discovered, like, a couple years ago, which is really cool. They go to this, this pool of Siloam, they take this golden pitcher, draw water, and go pour it out uh, as a sacrifice to God. Now again, they get less water than we do, so that's a huge sacrifice pouring out water, right? That's a big deal. And so, so they were there, they would do that on, at the festival. And then John chapter 7, I love it. On the last day of the feast, on the last day of the Feast of Booths, the great day Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So here's this festival. They've been focusing on the rejoicing of God 
in his provision for what he's done and, and, and praying for the, the rains to come in the rainy season in December. And so they take this water and they pour it out. And they, they have this big procession where they, they watch this, this, this pitcher go from the pool of Siloam to the altar. And this is when Jesus stood up and says, If anybody thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And I think that's really cool. I love it. Just to see, he's like, hey guys, what you've been doing this entire time, it's, look at me, this is it. I, I'm the fulfillment of all these things. Um, as a side note, I, I believe uh, Jesus was born during the festival of Sukkot. There's no biblical evidence for it too much. Uh, you have John's ties to it there in John 1, John 7. Um, and if you look at other festivals that are in the Old Testament, uh, Jesus died as a sacrificial lamb on Passover when the lamb was to be killed. Uh, the pouring out of the first fruits of God the Holy Spirit occurred on the festival of um, Shavuot, which is the festival of first fruits. So I, I, I believe that God would signify that he is tabernacling with humanity when he sent his son, Emmanuel, to live with us in Sukkot. So I, that's just my opinion. You don't have to believe it. You can say, Ron, you're an idiot. That's fine. But another side note, shepherds don't watch their sheep in the fields in winter. So, Christmas 20, you know, December 25th is not Jesus' birthday. I'm sorry if you believe that all your life. It's probably not his birthday. All right, now we're back. Okay. Anyway, Jesus became man to die, and so that his death might be sufficient for all. So, through, you know, through his death, sin was defeated, and by the grace of the resurrection, corruption will cease. One of my favorite songs is a song called Celebrate the Day by a band named Reliant K. Uh, I love these guys. They're a fantastic band. Um, and the, the, line, the song ends with this line. I celebrate the day that you were born to die so I could one day pray for you to save my life. I love that. It's so good. I celebrate the day that you were born to die so I could one day pray for you to save my life. So, God is with us. So how has he revealed himself to man? How has God revealed himself to man? In Old Testament times, God often appeared to his people in, in, in rather frightening forms. You have in Exodus 13, 21, And the Lord went to, before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. So here he appeared to the, the people of Israel as a pillar of fire. Although this pillar of fire guided Israel through the desert and served as protection, it's still a pillar of fire that's kind of terrifying, right? To see this big, big pillar of fire, that's not normal, right? So that's kind of frightening. You have Job 38.1. And the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and, and said this. And the, the, the Hebrew word for whirlwind is a tornado. Tornadoes are kind of the scariest things in the world, right? That's not, if you're in a tornado, that's not... A great place to be. Exodus nineteen, twelve, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it, and whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. And over twenty four. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it in six days. So on this Mount Sinai, God's cloud of glory was so magnificent and awesome that nobody dared to even approach the mountain. It said that they would die. So God didn't always reveal himself in frightening ways, though, of course. In 1 Kings 19, we see that God specifically wasn't revealed to Elijah by an incredible wind or a massive earthquake and a rolling of fire. Rather, God was found in, in the quiet whisper. God incarnate came as a vulnerable, 
baby. It's not exactly what God, what God's people expected. And so many of them missed Jesus. So what could God be teaching in the story of Emmanuel? Matthew chapter 1. So on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a... Uh, oh, that's not the right one. Good grief, that's the wrong one. There we go. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So it came as an incredible surprise when God himself came to earth as a baby. The creator of the universe became vulnerable and open and accessible. But why, why did he do this? The son sat at the right hand of the father on his kingly throne, but now we see that he he came as a helpless baby. Baby isn't welcomed in the room at the inn, but rather in a manger in a barn, more likely a, a cave. But why? It's because he wanted his people to be near him. But a barrier stood in the way, a barrier of sin. So where did this, this barrier of sin come from? Remember in the garden, man was near to God, right? It says that, he, that God walked with Adam and Eve there in the garden. So what happened? What changed our relationship with God. In our selfishness, we chose sin and the belief that we know what's right for us and not God. And sin is a barrier placed in the middle of our relationship with God. In the days of the temple, many walls stood between God and His people, representing the sin that forbids us access to God. Because remember that, in, look at the temple or even the tabernacle, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. All these walls separated everybody from where God was said to have dwelt over the Ark of the Covenant. Only once a day on, on Yom Kippur. It's Hebrews 9, 7. But into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. So he was only allowed to go into this Holy of Holies once a year. In Exodus 33, 20, But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So if a man saw God face to face, he would die. That's kind of crazy. But then Jesus came to earth, right? He came to take this barrier away. Knowing that God's righteous judgment had to be satisfied, Jesus himself became man. So the perfect sacrifice, 100% God, 100% man, could remove the walls between God and us. The Gospels say when, when Jesus said, It is finished on the cross, the veil of the temple was ripped in two. It says it actually ripped from, from top to bottom. Where God, I mean, we can't rip it from top to bottom because it was kind of tall. God removed that barrier there. Symbolically removing the separation between God and man. You read that story in Matthew 27. Now that barrier had been removed, and we do not know, we don't know God merely through the shadows that represent him in the Old Testament, but rather the light that is born there 
in the manger. So, so again, so why did Jesus come? And we could spend the whole series, months, talking on why Jesus came. So we, we, I'm not going to do that tonight because I want, know you guys want to get home. So this is going to be very quick. God wants us to be near him so that we can, can know him intimately. But the barrier of our sin stands in that way. This is why he sent his son, Jesus, to the earth to pay for our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What it says in 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when we come to him, we must come empty because there's nothing good in us. Romans says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. So let me ask you this. Who in here thinks that they're good enough to go to heaven? This verse is telling us that nobody, none is righteous. So we have nothing to offer God. But the good news is that because of Christ, that is exactly what God accepts, those who come to him empty-handed. Those kind of people he invites, the outcasts, the lowly, the people who have nothing to offer him. When he came to earth, he didn't invite politicians or local celebrities. He invited shepherds and foreigners to see him first. Um, I don't have time to read the whole scripture, but you know, they, 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 they appeared first to the shepherds there in the field. That's who he, he, he appeared to first. Not the Pharisees or the high priests or the Sadducees, but to the, to, to the, the shepherds. God's people had certain expectations for their Messiah King, and, and largely Jesus missed all of their expectations. Between the, the, the completion of the Old Testament writing and the beginning of the New Testament writing, there's a few hundred years there that we don't, I mean, we have record of it, but we don't have it in our Bibles. There's a story of a guy named Judas Maccabee. Anybody ever heard of that guy, Judas Maccabee? Well, Judas Maccabee, he was, the name Maccabee means um, hammer. And so he, his, his dad, uh, Mattathias, rose up to, call, to, to help drive the Romans out. They came in and they, they desecrated the temple. They, they offered a, a, a pig as a sacrifice there on the temple. As you know, Jewish people, that's, that's not kosher for Jewish people. So they desecrated the temple. The brothers, the sons of Mattathias, Drove out the Romans. They only had enough oil to, to light the candles for one day. Legend goes, they lit the candles and it, it burned for eight days. And that's where we get the story that we have as Hanukkah. So that happened in this time. So they, they see this man, Judas Maccabee, and they wanted him to be their Messiah. They, they believed their Messiah was going to be some mighty king, warrior, conqueror who's going to come in. And it's completely destroyed Rome with the swinging of a sword, right? That's kind of who they were hoping their Messiah was going to be. And that's not who Jesus was. So because Jesus did not fit their expectations, they continued following the law, hoping that one day their obedience would save them. Jesus came knowing that our imperfect obedience would not, never merit salvation, but his perfect obedience would bring us eternal life when he died for us on the cross. So this means we go before the throne of God not with reasons for why we are saved, but with joyful appreciation for our gifted salvation that was revealed there in the manger when he was God with us. And that's why we must come without references or arguments or entitlements, not saying to God, you owe me because I've been good, but saying I have nothing good in me, please help me. 
Pastor Tim Keller said this, All you need is nothing, but a lot of people don't have it. All you need is nothing, but a lot of people don't have it. When we come this way with nothing, God accepts us. And when He accepts us, He gives His Holy Spirit to us, and the Spirit guides us in the truth, convicts us of sin, and comforts us in our troubles. Jesus promised that the Spirit would never be taken away. So when you're lonely, remember that God did His utmost to be near you. And He will never, ever leave your side. Jesus left everything to become nothing so that everyone might know salvation is only through the name of Jesus Christ. God is with us. This is our reason for celebrating at this time of year. The barriers in our relationship with God have been destroyed by a baby in a manger. And this celebration has no reason to end when the Christmas season ends. The Christmas season is, is a reminder that we should constantly be celebrating our salvation through Jesus Christ and that God is with us. So when you pack up your ornaments and your Christmas tree and things in a couple weeks, don't pack up the beautiful gospel reminder of Jesus Christ in the manger and what his birth signified and began for us as it became God with us. Let's pray. God, I pray that we just see the, how important, how big this is, that, that you're with us, that you left heaven, took on the, the form of a servant, became man, so we have a, span, a, a chance to spend eternity with you. That you came, you were born, you lived and died, so we have a chance to cry out to you, God, and, and to ask you to be our Savior. I pray for these kids as they leave here in just a few minutes, God, that they see how remarkable, how truly special it is that you, the, the God of the universe, is with us. And we see how truly incredible, how truly powerful that is, that, um, that you're with us, and that you'll never leave us, God. May we just be challenged and just continue just to think about these things tonight as we leave and go home. God, may you just continue just to work in our hearts, God. In your name I pray.